0: Thank you for listening to our Celebration Sermon podcast. Celebration is a worshiping community within Hardewike Ministries. We gather at 9 a.m. in the Red Brick Church building on the Hardewike campus on the corner of 160th and Lakewood in Holland, Michigan. We invite you to join us in person when you are able. To learn more about our Celebration community in Hardewike Ministries, please visit hardewike.com. We're in our Advent sermon series, and we're trying to, amongst all the conversations about Christmas, think about the Christmas story. But I want to give to you a reminder as we look at this particular thing about a a way of reading the Scripture. It's a spiritual practice or discipline, Lectio Divina. I've got these words in your sermon outline as well, but I want to set them before we do the reading. Lectio Divina is a way to read the Scripture in a more personal way, a way to experience the Word through contemplation and reflection. Sometimes the Scripture is a collection of poetry for us. God communicates that way. Other times it's history. Uh, sometimes it's clear teaching, like in the book of Romans. But sometimes it's the story of God in people's lives. And that's particularly good to kind of enter in. Lectio Divina is a way of reading the scripture first and then reflecting on what's going on and then praying that text and, and beginning to see in each of the lives or each of the statements of the activity of God. Finally, and this is important, we don't typically do this in Bible reading or prayer in our busy Western culture, but to rest in silence, to cultivate a heart that's rooted in the text but also listening for the voice of the Spirit. Now, we have more information about this Uh, in your celebration. Inform the email that went out Thursday night each Thursday or on our website, heartofwhite.com, if you look for resources. Another way I'll explain this to people, and this kind of grows out of the way Mary Lynn works with students, helping them learn to read, is you want to read a story and make a movie in your head begin to bring to mind the picture that it's describing and then become an observer. You don't change the details of the text, but you kind of relate to it in a way that can speak to you differently. Lectio Divina is particularly helpful to me in texts like this morning. So I want to let you hear that and be drawn to it even as we hear the scripture and then the sermon that to some extent grew out of that this morning. We'll be reading from Luke chapter 1, 39 through 56. I invite you, as you're able, if you'd stand as I read uh, out of respect and appreciation and focus on the scripture. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 39. Now at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then in a loud voice, Elizabeth exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary, in response, said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For, and now begin to count the verbs, he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, and he has sent the rich away empty." He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Now Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that centuries ago a Greek physician named Luke would have spoken with Mary or her friends or family and carefully recorded this event that follows Zechariah and then Elizabeth and then Mary. And now here we are, reading the words that Luke wrote, carefully, amazingly preserved across centuries. But we ask you that just as you have inspired and protected, that now you would illumine to our hearts and minds that we might hear your call not simply to an outward conformity, but to encounter with the risen Christ and the gospel of his grace, the transformation that is our joy. Fill us with great hope, we pray, for we make our prayer in Jesus' name and all of God's people sit together, amen and amen. Um, I have used a metaphor before when thinking about the Bible. I've talked about the Bible as a library. There's 66 books, picture them on the shelf, various authors and genres written across time, but all with a single theme or plot. It's like a library in, an art, in a um, law school, for instance, a law library, or like the library of art, architecture, and engineering. Collection of books, multiple authors, single theme. But there's another, Metaphor I want to use today that I think plays well with what we're looking at and it's this it's more contemporary and to get the overarching view I want to think of a streaming service if the Bible were a Netflix streaming series How would it fit in one title? 66 seasons multiple episodes in each season but a unity in that diversity because of a key character or a key plot line or a key setting. If the Bible were a Netflix streaming series, here's the question, who would be the main character across the whole series? It would be God. The Bible is not a book about you or about what you should do to get God to love you. The Bible is a book about God. And the plot, what's the plot that runs from Genesis to Revelation in this streaming series about God? What's the plot? Is it about your behavior? Is it about how to order your community life? Is it beautiful thoughts from long ago? No, there's a plot line that runs through this 66-episode 66 seasons of story about God. It's this, redeem and restore. It begins with a story of how it was all came into being and that was good and then how it was all broken. And then by chapter three in Genesis, the story of redemption begins to play out. It's God at work around the plot line of redeem and restore. It ends with a great picture of hope and how it will be restored and what that might look like in ways that we can grasp. We're told that eye has not seen nor ear heard. The beauty of that time it will be amazing. So the main character is God. The plot is redeem and restore. Where does that put people like David, or Abraham, or Isaiah? It makes them supporting characters. So this morning, as we think about Mary and Elizabeth in this portion of Luke, the main character of the story is who? It's God. It connects to a particular plot, the redemption and restoration of what created. Mary and Elizabeth, you read their names most clearly, but they are just supporting characters for the main character and the main plotline. Don't miss it, friends. All of the Scripture is about the main character, and it's always about serving that central plotline. So this morning, Mary has the announcement of the angel Gabriel ringing in her ears. That was last week. And she hurries to go see her, her kinfolk. The word is, there is pretty broad, whether Elizabeth is an aunt or a cousin, it, it's kinfolk. She goes to see family, an old lady beyond pregnancy, now pregnant. But who is the main character of the story and what is the main plot? It's about God and it's about his redemption and restoration. So, we pick up the narrative, Gabriel is gone, Mary's on her own, what now, what should we do? And I wanna remind you of a term that I use, it's explanatory to me, I don't wanna start a new denomination or whatever, but this idea of divine ambiguity, that as we read the scripture, particularly in stories like this, there's clear stakes, clear points, that it speaks, that we need to know. But other times there's some space in the text. It's not that it's being confused, it that it leaves space for me to enter in. Now there's some things that are very clear. Luke 1.39, at that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. She didn't spend a lot of time here. She moved quickly, she relocated quickly and deliberately to a different part of the country. Other aspects of the story we just don't know about, and that's this divine ambiguity. I want to kind of enter into that as I have through the course of the week in preparing with Lectio Divina, that idea of making a movie and carefully observing what happens. So the angel Gabriel delivers this amazing message. He heads off and she's left on her own. Now what? What should I do? It says that she hurries off to Aunt Elizabeth's, I'll say. But she hurries off after conversations with whom? Did she just disappear like that? Couldn't have happened. She hurries off. But here's where I wanna ask the question. Who did she talk to before she left? Did she talk with her parents before? Guess what, mom and dad? The angel said, I am pregnant with... Or did she hurry off to family and let mom and dad hear about it? You know how things get around. So did they have that conversation before or after? You know, we just don't know, but it leaves room for us to to enter in and to begin to, what would it be like for Mary, a young, engaged woman, to have the story delivered by an angel, I'm pregnant. How do you break that news to your community? How How do you break that to your parents? How do you navigate it yourself? Well, look at what she did. It's kind of amazing. She heads off with Gabriel's message, and she heads off to see family Elizabeth, whose husband is a priest. We were laughing about this as a preaching team work. I said, yeah, yeah, the pregnant teenager, they send her off to be with a pastor uncle. (laughs) But stop and think about that. They sent... Mary or Mary went to a family member who'd had a living encounter with God. Mary went to the most religious person, I suspect, in that family circle. See what happens? In that moment, she runs to somebody who's met God. She runs to somebody who's living a life in faithfulness and obedience. It's hard to know exactly but there's room in this text to to wrestle and ponder with this thing. She went to see the most religious person in her circle of relationships. Let that sink in. As I did that I remember that I was once a high school student whose parents took him to church. Then one day, I had a life-changing encounter with Christ, and I became a disciple of Jesus who would go to church to worship and then seek to live my life for Christ day by day through the week. I've been a pastor for over 40 years at this point. Amazing. I've done youth ministry, university setting ministry, I've been in urban neighborhoods, I've been a solo pastor. And I don't mind telling you, I've had lots of conversations with young, unmarried, pregnant women. Situation same as Mary. So as I'm observing this in the text, I have real faces, real lives, real people coming to mind. How would I respond? Over the years, I've come to three convictions about how these conversations ought to go. Three parts, all of them important, none of them should be left out. But here's a first that God has an intention for human sexuality. He creates human sexuality for a, a spiritual, one flesh union of husband and wife and lifelong covenant. He combines this pleasure and intimacy and love into a framework for new life, typically children. Human sexuality is not mine to invent or direct any way I want. But it's given to me as a gift with intention. And so, to be faithful, I've got to realize that unmarried and pregnant means stepped outside the intention of God. And I know, secondly, that once we step outside the intention of God in any way, there's only hard options left. You know, Mary or someone like her could never go back and redo the steps that got her where she was, she's there. Where do we go now? All the options from this point are tough ones, let's be honest. There's a book, I've not yet read it totally, but I've read some reviews and listened to the author. It's entitled The Two-Parent Privilege, How Americans Stopped Getting Married and Started Falling Behind by Melissa Kearney. Now, she's no conservative Christian pastor degrees from Princeton and MIT currently teaching at University of uh, Maryland fascinating book she's done research to kind of dig into what it means to grow up with only one parent do you know in 1960 about 5% of children born in our country were born with only one parent Today, it's about 50 in some demographics, it's 75 or more. Wherever you stand or think, you've got to say, wow, that's a change. I wonder what the consequences are. And she's done the research. And again, there's a lot of nuance that I can't go into. I would say she's got more nuance than a disco ball has mirrors. We need to be aware of that. But to be simple and concrete for the moment, if you take a five-year-old and look at the evidence and say, what does it take to get from five-year-old to 25-year-old without being arrested or doing time in jail, without developing a significant life-controlling drug addiction and with a high school degree, how do you get from five to 25 like that? the single most powerful predictor of that is the kind of family structure you grew up in. Two parents in the home, focused on the children, has more impact than race, more impact than economics. And here's Mary in that very situation. So, Two things I want to do. It's like chewing gum and walking at the same time. I want to be able to be faithful to God, and I want to be honest in, as I have these conversations. But there's a third thing we can't forget, and it's this. I believe that God has called his people to step up and love others. And so I'm not surprised when Elizabeth and Zechariah, who've had this life-changing encounter with a living God, it's just a few verses earlier, are the ones that Mary is either sent to or runs to. Friends, I want to tell you that church, God's people should be the first place that folks in crisis come to, where they're welcomed where they're loved. Oh yes, we're honest, and yes, we're faithful to God. But people are first wrapped with loving arms and cared for. Mary went to Elizabeth. Mary went to see that portion of her family with a deep living relationship with God. That's what she did when she found herself unmarried and pregnant. I wanna say it real directly here as we think about this third part. Shame does not change lives. It has no part of the gospel. Now shame may energize conformity of behavior. You can get people to stand up and go, but it never produces human flourishing. Jesus did not go to the cross with the aim of keeping us slaves to shame. He died and rose to redeem us, remember the plot? He died and rose to transform us to live the life he created and intended for us. Not the life of our dreams or desires but of his intentions. That's the gospel. And so as a broken person yes I'll be honest. Yes I'll be faithful. But yes I will extend. I will initiate the love of the gospel. Ponder that. Consider it. Are we the first place that broken people run to? What does that tell us? Not about them, but really about us. Now, I'll tell you this Nate DeWitt is kind of the tip of the spear for student ministry here at Hardawike, um, the various ways we minister to middle and high school students. And so, without revealing anything to anybody, you can know that Nate has had some conversations like this. And as Nate's friend and coworker, I'm thankful that by and large Hardawike is committed to being faithful to God, honest with people, but loving to people who find themselves in situations. Faithful, honest, and safe. That's what a gospel-centered life looks like. So that Mary, when she finds herself in this situation, when she either has to have the talk with mom and dad or maybe wants to find a place that would be safe before that talk gets to them, Mary runs to Elizabeth and to Zechariah, who's had an encounter with God. Let that speak. As I ponder, I, I wonder too, I wonder what the conversation was like or how Joseph got on board. It's clear from Matthew chapter 1 that Matthew would eventually come to a point where he'd say, yeah, I'm in this with you. I'm there. Not my child, but I'm going to be a dad. Boy, there's a conversation. I asked myself, why the sudden departure? Why would she run hurriedly? (laughs) Makes me think she wanted to get there before... No, maybe it was the parents saying, oh no, what will the neighbor say? Let's move you on. We don't know. But what is certain is that Mary went to be with Elizabeth and Zechariah because they were safe. We've already seen in a previous episode that Zechariah and Elizabeth knew the living God. And so this sudden departure is someone in a hard state facing hard options, running to where it's safe. May God bless us with that same sort of safety. Mary greets Elizabeth. Boy, wouldn't you love to hear that greeting? My guess it was more than just hello, Aunt Elizabeth. Elizabeth has either heard and know why she's here or the moment this young, distant family member shows up Elizabeth knows there must be more to the story. Let me listen. I suspect that Mary caught Elizabeth up on that visitation from Gabriel. Can I stay here with you? We're not certain about the nature of the dialogue, but it's reasonable to do that somewhere along the way, Elizabeth began to pick up on the backstory, and it came clear to her, if for no other reason a baby inside her at 6 months leaps for joy she will say both in verse 41 and 44 the activity of this child speaks to me of something special and then filled with the holy spirit elizabeth is filled with the holy spirit and begins to speak what what do you picture in your mind when you hear these terms filled with the holy spirit and speaking Sometimes I ask people that, and they'll describe to me a person being overcome, like, like a, a marionette being directed, or maybe a dummy with a ventriloquist, and out come the words, not from me. I want to tell you, I don't believe that's how God works. I've seen other spirits work like that. But the times that I've seen the Spirit of God bring insight to someone, and they speak words... It's more like that kind of eureka moment. It's like they get it and share a word. It can happen so naturally and truly, but it carries a weight of its own because it is from God. Elizabeth gets it. She's not overcome against her will or agency, no. Suddenly, it's all clear. The baby, this quickening in her own heart and mind. Zechariah, her husband, who came back from the temple unable to speak, but scratched something, and then suddenly she's pregnant as well. What is all of this? Her years in the scripture, her years at worship, suddenly here it is. Eureka! I get it. I see it. And she has a grace epiphany. I say grace because she recognizes Mary is not just pregnant and unmarried, but she's carrying her Lord. I'm not sure that Elizabeth even understood all of what that meant. But she'd heard the promises. She'd seen the circumstances. And now something is bigger than just her life or just this little family member who's on her doorstep. Something big is going on and Protestant that I am, I can't help but point out that she recognizes in Mary one who has believed that God will fulfill his promise. Mary did nothing to earn or to deserve this moment in her life. It was the work of God first to last. God works in our lives as we respond in faith to what he's doing. It's not about us. Suddenly, everything is making sense for Elizabeth and for Mary because Mary breaks out in song and song about God. There's 10 verses Luke 1 46 through 55. We call them the Magnificat. They seem modeled after 1 Samuel 2 1 through 10, where Hannah, the mother of Samuel, bursts forth in joy over her unexpected pregnancy. How do you deal with your? Unexpected pregnancy, you ask Mary? She goes by looking at others' unexpected pregnancy in the scripture, and she sees there a trust in God. There's, the first verse is a statement about Mary, but it's just one verse. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Notice, it's then followed by nine consecutive verses about the main character and how the main character is at work in his plot line. 11 consecutive verbs, active voice, indicative mood, aorist tense, which is a, a tense covering both present and future somehow. We don't have it in English. Besides, we all slept through middle school English. But nine verses all set the same. It grabs your mind. God has been mindful. He has done, he has performed, he has scattered, he has brought down, he has lifted up. It's a work of the Holy Spirit, but for Elizabeth and for Mary, it all comes together. They get it. She's inspired to see her life not so much as an unmarried young woman, but as an instrument in the hands of the living God. She's a character serving a larger plot. Her soul rejoices, but that's because God is bigger than her circumstance. Her life begins to take on new meaning because it is God who is at work. God is the main character in her life, and that makes all the difference in the world. I want to go back to an illustration that I've used before. I've talked about how we live our life the life we know is like life inside parentheses. It, it makes sense, but there's something bigger around us. God has a sentence that makes sense of Mary's parentheses. We live that way. What this means is that when we look at our lives, just in terms of our life or what we can see or know, we'll never really understand the full meaning. We've got to see where our life is part of a bigger story, a bigger drama, a bigger streaming series, if you will. If we just look to ourselves for the meaning of our life, we'll never find it. You'll remember I talked about living in parentheses and how you can take two words, picnic and lightning. But then as you surround them with a sentence, my very photogenic mother died in a freak accident, picnic and lightning, when I was three. Do you see how your first impression from that parenthesis was completely different from the sentence? Let me show you how this played out in my life. Here's Pastor Bill at 15. Oh, boy, did I think I understood the world. Football and cheerleaders. But I know now that that life that made sense to me was part of something bigger. In truth, I was wasting my life in high school trying to find security and identity in things. Football and cheerleaders that could never give it to me, at least for long. Sometimes our lives feel like a tragedy. Part of my story, and you've heard it, I don't mean to repeat it, it's just that it's, I can talk about... Me without making other folks nervous about your tragedy. Broken femur, friends that abandoned me. That was hard at 16. It looked like a tragedy, but I see now that there was something larger that surrounded it. God in his mercy used some painful events, broken femur, friends that abandoned me, to move me out of that fruitless and selfish search and to call me to himself by his grace. What was painful became an instrument for me to receive, a joy and a peace that could never be earned, found, or taken away. See, this is Mary's life. If you just dropped into this moment, you can picture her screaming, I'm a pregnant virgin. What would her community say? What would her family say? What does she say to herself? But I want to tell you, God has a bigger sentence. The angel Gabriel, who spoke to her. Aunt Elizabeth, who received her and shared her own story in life with her. And Samuel's mother, Hannah, writing there in the scripture. They all gave to Mary a new understanding of this surprising event in her life. I'm a pregnant virgin. And that would strengthen her for her journey of faith and obedience. God's personal messenger. A welcoming gospel-centered family. In the words of Scripture, these things began to give Mary a new way of understanding her specific circumstances. Friends, we live our life inside parentheses, but there is a message outside the confines of our life that radically changes and makes it different. Meditate on the scripture in Philippians 1-6. I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it. Romans 8-1, there is therefore now only a little bit of condemnation. Oh no, the scripture says no condemnation. Say, no shame. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When our life Begins to be a parenthetical, a a bracket within the larger narrative of God and His work, suddenly even our tragedies, and tragedies can be real, even our tragedies take on a different cast and a different power. Some of us are living inside the parentheses and saying, yeah, life is doing pretty good. I must be living right. I want to suggest to you, even in the grandest of moments, the bigger story calls me to the Great Commission and calls me to gratitude. We live and make our lives inside of a greater meaning and greater life. That's the gospel. That's the hope. And that's what I want to invite each of us to, not simply to try to make sense inside our brackets, but to begin to ask, For this life that I'm experiencing, what does it mean in light of God's greater promises and hope? That's where Mary found joy. That's where Mary found a peace that could not be taken away. That's the call of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we can be honest and real about the challenge of our lives. There's been sadness, there's insecurity, there's been mistakes. Yes, we've been able to produce that or able to experience that as well. We thank you for that. But we ask that you take all things and help us to see them in light of a bigger and grander story, the redemption and rescue and restoration of your good creation. Thank you that you've called us as your people, not simply to pursue our own desires, but to receive all that you have intended. And then to share that, work in us a deep and generous heart, generous of time, of interest. Thank you that there's more to life than just us, but you've called us into your great story and work. Thank you for this scene that we are a part of right now. We want to live it to the fullest. Come, Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. And all of God's people said together, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. To learn how to get involved in our celebration community or how to support Hardaway Ministries, please visit us at hardaway.com.